Our passage this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Good morning, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. As Thad just read for us, we are continuing in our series through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2 today, and during this series, we are taking a look at what you see on the screen. What is our true identity? We're talking about recovering our true selves, who we really are as citizens of heaven. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about how citizens of heaven will go through suffering. Paul is writing this letter from a place of suffering, sitting in jail, not knowing what his future holds. He is writing to a church that goes through suffering, and we are reading it as people that have suffered, are suffering, or will suffer in the future. And last week, we looked at how citizens of heaven have an opportunity to glorify God even as they suffer. Well, today as we transition into chapter 2, it's a new chapter, but it's a a continual thought that Paul has, and he's going to continue this theme of citizens of heaven, and he's going to show us what citizens do and what the kingdom of God looks like in action. Every group of people has an ethos, a, a rhythm, a spirit about them. You know this to be true because if you go into a Chick-fil-A anywhere in the United States, there's certain things that you're going to experience. They're going to say, my pleasure when serving you. You're going to go through a fitting and orderly line. You know what to expect. There's an ethos behind Chick-fil-A. And every business we go into, every company we work for has this spirit about them, whether good or bad. Today, Paul describes for us what the ethos, what the spirit of the people of God looks like. What people should feel and sense and experience and see as they come in contact with the kingdom of God, as they interact with citizens of heaven. Would you pray with me to that end? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thank you that you have spoken through your word and your spirit and your people. Father, indeed, our prayer this morning is that you would show us what the kingdom of God looks like. You would show us what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. And ultimately, you would show us Jesus, the good king, and what he is like and what he has done for us. I pray that you would speak to each one this morning, whatever you have to say. 
God, take my humble words and use them for something bigger and better than me or this church or any of us and and speak faithfully to each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have not already, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, where we will take a look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. Paul starts out by saying, if we are in Christ, there's some things that are true of us. Verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Here, Paul is saying, if you are a citizen of heaven, it means you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, there are some things that are true of you. When we think of salvation or we think of being in Christ, our modern Western minds think of our moment of salvation. And that is of utmost importance. The moment that we recognize our need for a savior, the moment that we recognize we need Christ's righteousness given to us and he needs to take our sin upon himself so we can be washed and forgiven of our sins as we just sang about. But both in the first century church and in the language in which Paul is writing, the idea of salvation and even the word used for salvation does not just mean our moment of salvation. And it does not just mean our moment where we recognize what Jesus has done for us. The word salvation that's being used here, in fact, the majority of the time the word salvation is used in the New Testament. It is referring to an all-encompassing salvation, a change of life. And the reason for that change of life is now we are in Christ. So whatever is true of Christ is now true of us and we participate in it together. So he says, if you have encouragement from Christ, meaning courage in your soul because you are in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if his love has made a difference in your life, if you participate in the indwelling spirit because you are in Christ, if you have received affection and sympathy, and if you have given affection and sympathy in light of the gospel, he's saying if all of these things are true of you, then it should impact the way you live your life. So he goes on to say that this will complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. First, we'll talk about the joy in just a moment, but he says he wants something to be true of them because they are in Christ. First, the same mind. Now, this does not mean that if we are in Christ, we all agree We agree about Jesus, but there's a lot of things maybe we don't agree on. It doesn't mean that we think exactly the same way. It doesn't mean that our brains are exactly the same. What it's saying is we participate in the mind of Christ. We share in one mind because we think with the mind of Christ, but also we think the same things about who Christ is and what he has done. Next, we have the same love. This love that is spoken of, Paul has already written about this in chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, we are, you are partakers in grace with me. We are partaking of, we are experiencing the love of God together. It's not just about the love we have for one another. That's a byproduct of the fact that we have a love, we participate in a love that is found in Christ. And then of full accord, of full accord and in one mind. Literally in the Greek, what this means is that we have united souls. Our very souls are united in Christ because the spirit of the living God comes and lives 
inside of us. So when Jesus says that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, can be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, when he says that, Paul is saying that's what we have. We love God with all that we are, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves because we have the same mind, the same love. Our souls are united. And he says that this leads him to have joy. This will give him joy. Remember, he has a great affection for these people because he helped start their church. And now he is writing back to them from prison, and they are partners in the gospel with him. They share in one mission. They share in one love, one mind, one soul. And so it would complete his joy to see them live in unity. Just like it brings joy to my heart when my kids serve and love one another. When they serve one another, when they get along with one another, when they go out of their way to serve each other. But even in that, that is really just my own comfort, right? I I take joy in it. I'm proud of them. But ultimately, I'm like, okay, they're not going to kill each other right now. I can take a breath. I have four boys. It's constant. So I take joy in them serving and loving one another. Paul is saying our Heavenly Father looks down and sees his people serving one another as citizens of heaven, and it gives him great joy. Because we're participating in the mind of Christ, we're participating in the oneness found in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, when we share a mind, share love, share our souls with one another. This sounds great. This sounds like the kind of love that all of us want to experience. This sounds like the kind of people we want to be a part of. This sounds like a great church that we would want to go to. People that share a mind, share a heart, share in the love of Christ, thinking like citizens of heaven. This sounds like a great picture of what life could be like, of what marriage could be like, of what community could look like. So why do we find it so hard? Why do we find it so hard to experience what Paul is describing here? Why did the church in Philippi find it difficult? Because of what we read in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here Paul gives us a list some reasons why it's hard to experience this and live this way. The first one is selfish ambition. Our ambitions, our aim, our purpose, our actions are often based on what can I get? What will I get out of this situation? Are my needs being met? Am I being taken care of? We have selfish ambitions. And sometimes these are overt and right on the surface, and other times they're just subconscious. It's even the default mode that we are in when we wake up each morning. So if we don't do something, if we don't have a change of mind, a change of action, we will live in this mode of selfish ambitions. We will do what helps and serves us and what makes us feel good and look good to others. Secondly, he lists vain conceit. The Greek word that Paul uses here means empty glory. We seek out empty glory. We seek out glory and applause and praise of man instead of God. And any honor and any praise that we get from other people, other members of mankind, is empty 
glory. It's short-lived. It doesn't really last. But far too often, they, like we, look for this empty glory, the empty praise of man, instead of the glory that comes from glorifying God. From the applause of our Heavenly Father, we instead seek out glory in places where we do not find it. So we seek empty glory. Then he says, look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Imagine a world where we looked to the interests of others instead of our own. And imagine a world where everyone is doing this. Where we go to work and everyone is seeking to serve others. We go to church and everyone is seeking to serve others. We go into our marriage and the actions that we take in our home, the ways we treat our family in a way that seeks the good and the interests of others. Imagine this church. Imagine your community group. Imagine if we looked to the interests of others. If everyone did that, if we could all just agree to serve one another, then everyone would be taken care of, right? You can look at it on a big picture, like mankind and the world, or just think about the simple example of going to community group. You go to small group, you go to a Bible study, and everyone is coming to outdo one another in showing honor. Then everyone will be taken care of. But instead, we consider our own interests. What's in it for me? And here, Paul says, the way to get past this is to consider others better than yourself. Here he is not saying that we demean ourselves. This is not some self-effacing humility. This is not some kind of belittling of ourselves or what we need or ignoring ourselves. This is all about how we view others. We view others as more significant. We view others' needs instead of our own. We consider how our actions, how our words, how we treat others, how it impacts the people around us. This is what Paul is instructing them to do. And imagine relationships lived this way. But our own need for empty glory and the praise of man and pleasing human beings gets in the way. So, what is the anecdote to this? How do we overcome this in order to experience what it means to be a citizen of heaven? A citizen of the kingdom of God. How do we experience this one-mindedness, this one love, this uniting of souls that we are supposed to experience if we are in Christ? I'm going to read now in its entirety verses 5 through 11, and then we'll kind of talk about it piece by piece. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In summary, when we have the mind of Christ, we can serve one another, and Christ is worshipped with our lives. So, how 
do we experience this? How do we appropriate this to our lives? We are able to do this because of how Christ served us. How Christ served us. We're going to take a look at what Paul says about who Christ is and what he has done. These three verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, many commentators have said, all of the commentators agree, this is the linchpin of Philippians. This is at the heart of Paul's thesis, the heart of Paul's letter. Everything else is bracketing this. This is really the heartbeat of what he wants to say to the church in Philippi. And in fact, I read two commentators in the past two weeks that said this is the linchpin of the entire New Testament theology. Councils have been called, churches have been split, and theologians have argued over these three verses for centuries. But I'm going to clear it all up with an analogy about cinnamon rolls. So, we'll be good. And I have 20 minutes, so here we go. What does Paul say about who Jesus is and what he has done? Who, though, he was in the form of God. Jesus was in the form of God. When we read this, we think of something immediately that is unhelpful to us. We think, when we say the word form, that we mean he was kind of like a God. Because that's what we say. We say that things are a form of something, but not quite the same. So I'm allergic to cinnamon rolls. I'm allergic to cinnamon, therefore I'm allergic to cinnamon rolls. My son is allergic to cinnamon, and in fact, we have two staff members, coincidentally, that are allergic to cinnamon here on staff at Grace Community Church. Everyone has learned this about me and now my son, and so often, people in our family or friends will make for us cinnamon rolls. But instead of cinnamon, they will use allspice, they will use nutmeg, or they'll change the recipe altogether and make some kind of praline pecan roll. Yet they always say, here's your cinnamon rolls with no cinnamon. Now, cinnamon seems to be a key ingredient in cinnamon rolls. It's where it gets the name. Um, It's kind of a big deal. It's a big part of going into cinnamon rolls. So when they give us cinnamon rolls, they might as well just say, here's your allspice roll, your nutmeg roll, your pecan roll, whatever it is, because it no longer is a cinnamon roll. That's how we view this phrase. That Jesus was kind of like a god. But you know, he came as a man, he lived on this earth, he did a lot of the same things we do, so he was kind of like God. Or maybe he set aside his godliness, or he ceased to be God for a little while. But neither in Paul's theology nor in the language that is used here is that accurate. Based on the theology of the New Testament, and based on what Jesus said himself, and based on the language that Paul uses when writing this term, he means Jesus is God. The form of God means an exact likeness. He is God. So Paul is very simply saying here that Jesus is fully God. Yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What is he saying here? He's already said that he is fully God. He's about to say that he is also fully man. So what does it mean that he did not count equality a thing to be grasped. Imagine that my father owns a business, and I go into the business, and because I am my father's son, I have every right for at least freebies, if not a discount, 
on the foods and the goods and the services provided by my father's business. But I walk into that business, and instead of saying, I am my father's son, please give me what is owed me, I take out my wallet and I pay the same price that everyone else did. At that moment, I still have all the rights of a son. I still have all the rights of ownership in that business, but I am letting that go in order to pay my own way. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's still divine. He's still God. He has all the rights of God, all the rights of the son of God, but he sets those rights aside. He doesn't lose them. They're still his. But he sets down what is rightfully his. He lets go of what is rightfully his to die in our place on a cross. Being born in the likeness of men, he takes the form of a servant. Jesus lets go of what is rightfully his, a earthly kingdom, an earthly throne, an earthly crown, earthly power, and he sets that aside. He becomes a servant. He becomes 100% a man. He is fully God, fully man. But he sets aside that authority and those rights, and he takes on the form of a slave. And being found in human form, 100% man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. While Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man, and each moment of each day did what you and I fail to do every single day, and that is do the will of the Father. 100% obedience, 100% reliance on the Spirit of God, 100% honoring of God in all of his actions. He was obedient to the Father, even to the point of giving his very life. And it wasn't just death of old age or death by some other means. It was obedient to the point of death, death even on a cross. The cross was reserved by the Romans for insurrectionists, rebels, people that disrupted the order of Rome, the kingdom of man. And Jesus, though he was perfect, died a rebel's death. And he did that for you and me. He let go of all that was rightfully his in order that we could be called sons and daughters of God. He let go of all that was rightfully his on this earth to upend not just the Roman kingdom, but the kingdom of man. These small little kingdoms that we build for ourselves that are full of empty glory. And because of this, we can have the mind of Christ. So, in Jesus, we see what it looks like to honor God. We see what it looks like to serve. We see what it looks like to have the mind of God, the mind of the kingdom. But before we can talk about how we also participate in this, we have to talk about how we falsely go about it. Far too often, we read passages like this and we're like, oh, I've, I got I to 
got to be more selfless. I got to volunteer in the church, which I'm going to talk to you about that in a little bit. That's a thing that's going to be an outcome of this too, hopefully. But we start thinking about all the things that I need to do. Oh, I've got to be a better husband. I got to be a better dad. I got to be less selfish. I got to volunteer in the community. I got to do all these things. I got to be more humble. I got to be nicer to people. We think about all the things that we need to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus becomes our hero or our example or our co-pilot an add-on to our life or an example of what we have to follow. If Jesus is our example, we will always fall short and we will end up exhausted. It's exhausting trying to be Jesus. We will end up exhausted. We will end up in despair because we don't measure up. Or we will end up in isolation because it's too hard. Have you had days like this? Have you had seasons like this where you know what's required of you as a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a worker, a human being? You know what's required of you and you know you don't measure up. You can't serve. You can't lay down your life one more time. You can't tie one pair more shoes. You can't clean up one more spilled milk. You can't go to work and deal with that person again. So you isolate. Isolate yourself. If Jesus is our example, if Jesus is our co-pilot, we will never participate in the things of the kingdom. So how do we participate in what Paul is talking about here? It's by believing, receiving, and participating in the good news of the gospel. The good news is found right in the middle of this passage in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is the phrase that is the linchpin of this book and of Paul's theology of what it looks like to honor God. If that phrase was not here, the book of Philippians would be a checklist that you would never measure up to. But here, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a part of the kingdom of God. And so you can have the love of God. You can participate in the mind of God with others. You can share a like soul with others because of what Christ has done. If we are in Christ, we already have this mindset. We have this power through the spirit of the living God inside of us. And whatever God calls us to do, his spirit will do in and through us. And whatever we struggle with, we can receive comfort and encouragement and joy from what Christ has already done. And when we wake up each day with that on our mind, what Christ has done for us, we can do whatever he has called us to do. We can be his good news people. We can live for the kingdom of God. We can have the mind of Christ. So first, we need to believe that this is true. Do you believe that this is true? That you can't measure up, that you can't check off all the to-do lists, that you can't be who you need to be without the good news of what Christ has done and having his mind. Do you believe this? Some of us in this room this morning, maybe we don't believe this, or maybe we've heard about it, but we haven't participated in it. 
today can be the day where you stop just hearing the good news and you start participating in the good news of what Christ has done for you. He didn't live for empty honor and glory like you and I do. He didn't live with vain conceit. He didn't live for his own interests. But he came and he served and he came and laid down his life for you and me so we can participate in all of who God is and live for his kingdom. For the rest of us, we may have assented to the fact that this is true, but believing it in how we live our lives is a whole nother matter. What does it look like for us to believe in this good news? Next, we need to receive it and live it out. We need to stop trying to obey the things of God with the power of man. We need to stop trying to live for the kingdom of God with the strength that comes from the kingdom of man. We need to stop living for empty honor and glory and start living for the honor and glory and praise of God, the only one worthy to have every knee can bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not just interesting, it is deeply profound and important for our everyday life that this section in the New Testament, verses 5 through 8, is so rich in the gospel and the mechanism by which we are saved. It's described in detail by Paul right here. And it is bracketed in verses 1 through 4 and the rest of Philippians with how we should treat one another. Because of what Christ has done for us, it has profound implications for how we love one another. Paul, just like Jesus, leaves no room for us to cognitively assent to the good news without living out what it means to be good news people. It's not only incongruent, it's impossible. If we really believe that this is the good news and we have no interest in living it out, we don't know the good news. And we are living for empty honor and glory. And then we need to participate in the things of the kingdom by sharing this good news with others. And what is the result of this? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The result is God is praised. And we participate in something that is lasting. We participate in the kingdom that has already come and is still coming. That's the outcome of this way of life. We can participate in this by living this out in our daily lives. Four ways that we can do that. First, believing in the good news. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Back to the analogy that I told, that I, the story that I told of walking into my father's business and setting aside my rights as the owner of the business in order to pay my own way. Now imagine this, because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. What if I walk into that same business and not only do I have to pay my own way, but the employees of that business then beat, mock, and kill me? 
That's what happens to Jesus. It says he's rich. He has everything. He deserves an earthly throne, yet he sets that aside. And the very ones he made and came to save put him on a cross. We have received good news. We need to believe that it is good news and it needs to impact the way we live our lives, the way we treat one another, the way we speak about other people, the way we interact with people on the internet. It has to change all of who we are. The salvation that we have been given is not just a golden ticket to heaven. It is a transformation of life because we have the mind of Christ. So first, believe the good news. Second, live in unity. Live in unity. Here in the book of Philippians, Paul, as well as the other New Testament writers, confront disunity in the church because the church is experiencing disunity, but it also anticipates further disunity. And here Paul and the other authors of scripture are saying that disunity in the house of God and the family of God will not advance the kingdom of God. So we must live in unity with one another. Remember, that does not mean agree. Paul said, have one mind, and that mind is already yours in Christ. We have something that the world does not have. We have an ability, a power to overcome disagreements. The world has no category for this. If you disagree with someone, you must cancel them and shut them out. If we share in the mind of Christ, we overcome our differences. We overcome our disagreements because it's not about us. It's not about our honor, our glory, our way of thinking about things. We share in the mind of Christ. Commentator Wayne Meeks says that comprehensive discipleship is found right here in Philippians. It is Christians having the mindset of Christ that live out a practical moral reasoning that is conformed to Christ's death in the hope of the resurrection. Meaning this, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Christ is having the mind of Christ and believing in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and soon return of our King. That is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. And when the outside world sees the way we treat one another, the way we live our lives, the way we do marriage, the way we do parenting, the way we treat our parents, the way we love one another, they will look at us and say, those people are not of this world. Those people must be disciples of Jesus. And they have good news. And I want to know what it is. Third, lay down your life for others. Plain and simple, often we don't serve and we don't lay down our life because it hurts. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it rails against our own kingdom, our own honor, our own glory. And so we don't lay down our lives for others because we're thinking about, what will I lose? What's in it for me? But because of what Christ has done, Because he emptied himself. Because he uh, he let go of what was rightfully his. We can live for others because we've got nothing to lose. 
we should be living this out in the way we love and serve our family, love and serve our roommates, love and serve our coworkers, love and serve our community. And many, many of you are doing this in our community and in this church. And every single week, it takes dozens of volunteers to just make services happen and, and do things in a fitting and orderly way and to be hospitable to those that are coming into our church. In a moment, I'm going to direct you to the card in the seat back in front of you. Volunteers, put those cards there. We have volunteers that open doors, that greet people, that watch kids, that sing on the stage, that do things behind the scenes that you will never see. And many of you have served in this church for literally decades. And I want to thank you for doing that. But we have many, many needs that we need to fill for volunteers in our church. And there's, there's two reasons why I would ask you, especially if you're not already serving, two reasons I would ask you to consider volunteering right here inside the walls of Grace Community Church. The first one is very pragmatic. We need more help. We need more help. We, we need more hands lifting the load. We need more hands doing weekly jobs, monthly jobs, things on stage, things behind the scenes. So there's just, there's just a need. And we need everyone to pitch in if you call Grace home. Secondly is a theological reason. We share in the mind of Christ. We share in one love. We participate in the love that we have received from God. And as we serve one another, we are more aware that we are deeply connected to one another. It helps us see what Christ has done for us. It extends that same love to others. And Jesus is praised when we honor and serve and love one another. And a great way to do that is by volunteering right inside the four walls. If you would pull out this card, it's blue on one side. It says, let's connect. But the other side, this goldenrod or mustard or... I'm a little colorblind. It might be orange. I don't know. Pull out this card. It says, learn about serving. You can just give us your contact info. Fill out one of those spots. You can drop it in the offering box at the back or in the lobby. We will get in contact with you. We will train you and get you set up to serve wherever God has called you to serve. Lastly, we need to be good news people. We need to be good news people that are constantly, consistently sharing the good news with others. If the Chiefs win today, you all are going to hear about it. <laughs> Everybody's going to hear about it. When I shake your hand when you leave, you're going to hear about it. Because that's good news for me. But it pales in comparison to the good news of great joy that is for all people. We have good news to share. And if we're not sharing it, either we don't understand it, or we don't really believe that it's good news of great joy. We can be his good news people, not just in word, but in deed. As we show the world what the kingdom of God looks like, and when we remember what our Savior has done for us and we live that out for others, the world takes notice. Instead of living for our own empty glory, we can live for the glory and honor of God. Today we have seen what our King is like. We have seen what the kingdom of God is like and how we should live accordingly. The question is, will we choose to live for that kingdom 
Or will we still continue to build our own small man-made kingdoms of self? Would you pray with me? Father, we believe that you have spoken this morning. Not because of me, but because your spirit is here. Because we have looked into your word that gives freedom and joy and is good news of great joy for all people. God, we pray that you would continue to speak through your word, spirit, and people as we leave this place. And may we be your good news people as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.